0: There are many parallels between what's required to be a championship-level athlete and a successful business person, but not all athletes are capable of making that transition. Many business owners seek former athletes to join their sales teams, as it's often the same competitiveness that drives athletes in their pursuit of winning that is a predictor of sales success. But it's not a given that athletic success translates to the business world as there are a number of factors needed to create an environment for that kind of successful transition. My guest today, Alex Roberts, was one of those capable of making the transition, and our discussion centers on what's necessary to create the best possible opportunity for success should you decide to recruit your own bullpen of former athletes to your own team. As a seasoned franchise executive with extensive experience in franchise development, since 2004, Alex has helped hundreds of aspiring entrepreneurs embark on the path of franchise ownership. His franchise development career has included executive-level positions with many of the premier brands in franchising, and his experience spans many industries, including home services, retail, food, and health and wellness. For roughly 11 years prior to his career in franchising, he coached hockey, First at the professional level and then recruiting and developing elite-level high school hockey players as a coach with the US national team. During this time on the ice, Alex learned the golden rule of recruiting: act with the players' goals and interests in mind, not your own. He's continued to adhere to this rule in franchising, helping career-changing corporate executives and aspiring entrepreneurs achieve goals they never thought possible. Thought it was a really insightful listen. It's not just about hockey. It's about competing and being successful in sales and in business. I hope you enjoy it. Give it a listen. So, Alex, thanks, man. Thanks for coming out. Happy to be here. I appreciate <laughs> it. You know, we, you and I have this uh, built-in sort of love for the sport of hockey, so we are going to try our best not to bore our guests (laughs) with stories about hockey, like the uh, 20 minutes of stories that I regaled you with before we got started. So, but um, really it's that career as a professional athlete and really a college athlete and really your entire time competing at an elite level um, in the sport of hockey that I really, I want to dig into it less less from the actual elements of competing as an athlete and more about the translation between... What you've seen in your time as a business person, and the correlations that you've been able to identify between a successful athletic career and a successful business career, and then how you try to use what happened for you as. The impetus for what you're doing today. Fair? Perfect. That Fair. sounds great. All right. Yeah. So, but having then told everyone that we're not going to bore everyone with hockey, I do feel like I need to give you at least <laughs> a, a moment to speak about kind of uh, your journey on the path through the sport and kind of where that took you.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, hockey was always a huge part of my life, having grown up in a family where my dad played hockey at Michigan State. And three of his brothers played hockey at uh, Michigan State as well, and two of them played in the National Hockey League. So I grew up in this family where hockey was was something that every – at the time, male in the family, but anyway, I grew up, you know, playing that sport, and and I, you know, wanted to be a Spartan my whole life, and I just loved everything about Michigan State, and I couldn't stand Michigan, and uh, and ironically, when it came time for me to be recruited, I came and visited the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, and I fell in love with the campus, <laughs> the coaching staff, and the team, and um, you know, and it was, I just, I told my dad, I'm like, I hope you don't mind, but I want to go to Michigan, and. He said, "Absolutely, I don't. You know, this is your time. This isn't mine. uh, You know, type of thing." But um." and um, I'm going to reference a book that you may or may
0: not be aware of. The book is called Blink, and it's um, by Malcolm Gladwell. Mm -hmm. And there's a section that opens the book that talks about statistical anomalies, right? And they they say uh, in the book that Gladwell says if you study the average NHL roster, that the uh, players on the team will invariably 80% of the time or more be born in the month of January, February, or March, which has this correlation between them being the largest kids. Right. And and uh, what Gladwell is referencing in his book is how something as simple as splitting the age groups in half could have had such a material difference in the outcome of some of the careers of these players and how that's so interesting in what happens. Yeah, And I bring that up for a reason that you probably aren't thinking. It does. It has less to do with the kids because, I mean, I was a dad in the sport. I recognize that size is important. You can't be small and slow in hockey. It's a bad combination. But what I did notice and what we did recognize is that it does tend to create a difference in the quality and the level of coaching that the players get. So invariably, when you're at the elite program, more often than not, you are getting elite coaching. So having been in that environment for the length of time you were in, talk a little bit about your coaches and what having those coaches meant for you when it came to the role they played ultimately in your career.
1: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. I'm very familiar with that book as well, because uh, when I was coaching at the U S national under 18 team, and we would come down to some final decisions on, on things. One of the coaches I worked with he was a big Malcolm Gladwell fan, and he, he said, "All right, well, let's. What's the birthday? Is it a March birthday or a <laughs> November birthday? <laughs> right? <laughs> Not to say that was always a deciding factor, but it was a factor that went into the decision making on on selecting some kids for the U.S. national team. Um, and I was born in January, by the way. See, so <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and my son, unfortunately, was a December sixteenth birthday. Oh. I was telling my wife, you could have should have held him in for two more weeks. Right? Right? And he'd be getting a college scholarship. Exactly. But, uh, but anyway, I, I you know totally understand that point, and and um, having played at the AAA level and and uh, you know junior hockey and college hockey, at the University of Michigan with Red Berenson, who was just a phenomenal coach. Um, there's no doubt that that having a coach that is going to make an impact on your life, not only with your skill development on the ice, but, you know, the, the things, that, the character that you learn, you know, in terms of what you're doing when nobody's watching, you know, the work ethic, the, uh, the team, Uh, playing within a role on a team not everybody's going to be your goal scorer you know singers sing and dancers dance that was always a line in the locker room you know don't try to do something that isn't your do your your job exactly (laughs) do your job so but i you know i i I learned a ton from a lot of coaches and um you know never thought i would get into coaching but after my playing career i ended up spending 11 years as a as a coach Mm -hmm. and it, it was kind of a i fell into it uh, not something I was pursuing, but then I, I loved it and enjoyed it for eleven years before I made the transition to the to the business and franchising world
0: yeah no doubt and coaching especially coaching athletes this, and not again we 're trying not to belabor the fact that we 're talking about the sport of hockey, but in the sport of hockey it 's ironic how many of people like yourself have a, a calling. To continue on in the sport. And I don't know if it's just pure addiction to being on the ice and the adrenaline that you feel and having that opportunity or just maintaining a relationship with a sport that has brought so many people so much stuff over the course of their lives. But Talk about your transition from being coached to being the coach, yeah. and th- what that meant for you with respect to the relationships you developed.
1: Yeah, that's you know I think one of the things a lot of people realize too in life it's not always what you know it's who you know. Sure. Um, in terms of opportunities that come along, and and having been in the hockey world as a player, uh, you know you get to know other other people in that in, industry. So I moved to Chicago after I finished playing, and um, and was working teaching hockey schools. At night, just to make a few bucks while I was interviewing for jobs. And and uh, the guy that was running the hockey school, his name was Grant Mulvey. He was a sh- former Chicago Blackhawk. And uh, he was putting together a minor league team to bring to Chicago. And so he started asking me about my opinion of this because I, I had just finished playing three years in the minors. And he said, right. you know, we're thinking about bringing a team here to Chicago. And I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. There's already the Blackhawks here. Why would you bring a minor league team to Chicago? Um, but these guys were definitely uh, knew what they were what they were getting into and doing. And fortunately, that first year they brought the team in uh, was the NHL lockout. So oh. nobody was going to the Blackhawks games. Yeah. We had 18,000 18, fans <laughs> every night at the uh, Rosemont Horizon watching the Chicago Wolves play. So long story short, when they brought this, this minor league team to Chicago, I saw an opportunity. I wanted to get into business. And so I, I got hired to sell... Advertising, Mm -hmm. You know, the Dasher boards, the program, the radio advertising, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, season ticket packages, things like that. That was, you know, I was 26, 27 years old and um, and and doing this in the sport. I loved, you know, business and hockey was exactly what I wanted to do. Um, And then as we were building the team we had, we had for a year, uh, no, no team on the ice, but we were building the business part of it and our sponsorships and things. And then they started to put the team together for the following year. And Grant, who was the GM, started asking me, you know, telling me about some of the guys they were considering signing. And I had just played with or against most of these guys uh, in my three-year pro career. And so I started giving him my opinion of some of these guys. And he quickly realized I kind of knew a little bit about, you know, <laughs> and a little inside stuff. And, uh, and so he quickly moved me over to the hockey operations side. And they made me the assistant general manager and the assistant coach of the team. And, um, and I, I kind of went reluctantly you right. know I was like I said I really kind of wanted to pursue a, a you know b- more of a business uh, role but um, and, and for two years I didn't really enjoy the coaching side of it I liked the management side but the coaching it just wasn't you know totally resonating with me I wasn't loving I wasn't loving it the guys you know I was the same age or younger than half the guys in the team so there's a little bit different respect factor I think and and that but it um, what happened was the third year, we brought in a new coach, a guy named Elpo Suhonen from Finland. Hmm. And he was the first European head coach in the National Hockey League. He, he coached the Winnipeg Jets back in, uh, I don't remember exactly the years, mid, mid or late 80s. But anyway, they brought in Elpo to coach the Chicago Wolves. And this is the guy who lit the fire for me as a coach. Got it. He came in with just an, a, such a different philosophy than the previous coaches I worked for who were a little bit more old school. It was yeah. work hard, play hard uh, you know, four check, back check, paycheck with the (laughs) the the miners type of thing, but there wasn't any real development going on. There wasn't any real tactics and systems. And, you know, it was just, uh, you know, hard work hard. And, um, so um, anyway, this guy came in from, from Finland with this just great philosophy, um, on puck control and you know, why dump the puck in, you know, why give it to the other team? Enter the zone with possession. You know, just I know we're getting a little technical here for, for our non-hockey <laughs> listeners, but but it was uh, it, it was something that really lit a fire for me, and I and I loved. Um, You're learning now about how to develop skill and how Mm -hmm. to develop systems and tactics and how to adjust to what another team is doing and and so he really lit that passion for me and then you know when I realized you know what maybe this coaching thing is something I want to do Mm -hmm. I felt like if I want to do this I want to do it in college because Mm -hmm. when I was a player college was the 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 highlight of my playing career. Every game meant so much. You cared. There was passion. There was you know when I played in the minor leagues, half the guys didn't want to be there. They were there because that was the only way they could make a living. You know, some of the guys were, um, you know, just cynical or whatever it might be. Not not really playing for what's on the front of the sweater. Exactly. Anymore, right. Exactly. Right. So so I wanted to get back to the college level, and then I, so I transitioned to coaching. I came to the U.S. National Under-18 Team, which was based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, all the top high school-age kids in the country. And my coach, Jeff Jackson and juniors, was the one who started that program, and he's the guy that brought me in to, to help lead that program. So that's kind of a long roundabout way of how no. I went from playing to coaching and didn't really care about coaching. Like I said, in the beginning, I wasn't all that interested, but then it ended up spending 11 years in that industry and absolutely loved it uh, every step of the way.
0: Well, there's, there's so much to unpack there. So one, <laughs> um, listeners, if you're in a situation where you want to have the opportunity to grow your skill in a place that might ultimately afford you a living, what better place to start than the place that you've spent most of your time, right? So um, someone would suggest to me that perhaps I record enough podcasts that maybe I should be in the business of podcasting. I haven't quite gotten that far yet, but obviously I'm comfortable with teaching podcasting just by the sheer amount of repetition that I've gotten by virtue of doing this, right? So when you, when you think about a crucible or an incubator for your skill, Oftentimes, it's smart to stay close to the things that you've been doing in your life up until that point to give you a rolling start towards success. And then secondly, um, it builds credibility for you. No one could tell you something that you didn't already understand about the sport. So regardless of opinion, if someone's not really wanting to be there because it's a minor league gig for them and mm-hmm. they don't really feel like the prestige of the role, well, I know a lot of people who work for a lot of companies who don't feel really excited about what they do for a living, That's right. but yet they still need someone to inspire them to have the best results that they possibly can do. And typically, I don't care who you are, if you don't have a system... If you don't have processes in place, if you don't have measurement statistics to know whether or not you're getting anywhere, how do you improve? That's right. Right? You're just going to keep working hard, playing hard, forecheck, backcheck, paycheck. And eventually those results don't translate into the wins that you're looking for on the score sheet. Mm -hmm. in a way that can make you feel confident about wanting to get back up and go to practice the next day. Right. So, um, it's in that environment that you, you realize that like, all right, I know now as a coach that really my responsibility is to the relationship with the player as much as it is with the system and the processes and all of those things. But for those of you who are running small businesses, if you don't have a system in place, you cannot figure out where you're going to be able to innovate. You cannot figure where, where you're going to be able to be even more successful. And literally, growing your business is mostly just going to be on hard work and sheer luck. And I don't know how many times the Patriots have won a Super Bowl on hard work <laughs> and sheer luck. I definitely think it has something to do with scheme and system and yep. <laughs> you know all of those other things that go along with that. So sure, it might have been a little bit of a securitus rope for you, right? But- once somebody gave you all the building blocks that you needed to be successful in the coaching aspect of the role, it reawoke that passion up for you in a way that really, I think is interesting because as you transitioned out of your career in sports and into your career in business, in a lot of ways, you carried a lot of what you were doing there into what you're doing now. So let's talk a little bit about franchise and kind of what that is so that folks yeah. have an understanding of what we're talking about.
1: Yeah. So what I'm doing now is um, I've been in franchising for the last 16 years of my professional career. So once I transitioned out of hockey, um, I got into franchising um, and on the franchisor side. And 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 just quickly on that transition, um, when I was interviewing for this job as a franchise sales uh, manager, is what the the role was. Franchise development manager, actually they call it. Um, a big part of what franchises do is is recruit the right franchisees. Mm-hmm. So you know, let's just say you own uh, Great Clips hair salons, and you're looking to sell more franchises. You don't want to sell it to the wrong person, who doesn't have the right skill set, or business acumen, or leadership skills, or financial resources. Uh, you want your know, Great Clips is very selective in who they award a franchise to, so they have a process to go through to to identify the right people. And so that's what my role was at a company called Mr. Handyman and Molly made and it was Service Brands International was our our parent company, but we had several brands. And um and so you're kind of like the you know as a coach a big part of what you do is recruit. Sure. You want to make sure the kid has the right skill set, the right talent, the right work ethic, the right character, the right grades, you know, depending on the right again, parents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. the ones that know their place to stay in the stands. <laughs> <All> right. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, yeah, it, it's um it, it was a it was a really easy transition for me to go from uh, the coaching world to the franchise development side, where I could really relate to what that organization was trying to accomplish. We need to bring in the right people. For our business to be successful. And that was the same, you know, same philosophy as a, as a coach. And then once you bring them into the system, you need to be able to train them and support them and provide them with the resources and the guidance they need to be successful with their individual businesses. So the translation from, from sports to franchising was a really easy one for me. And I, and I loved every minute of it. Um, and then what I do now, the last three years, Fran choice is my, my company, but I help people get into franchises people that want to buy a franchise but aren't sure exactly where to begin. And they need that coach that's going to be able to help analyze with them you know, what franchise is going to be the right fit for you. What you know? What role do you want to play in the business? Are you going to be actively involved every day and work forty hours a week, forty plus hours a week? You know, you know, in a business, or are you looking for a business that can be manager run and and you're doing something more, uh, you know, higher level strategic, or even keeping your job and investing in a business on the side? There's all kinds of different ways you know to get there from uh, you know an employee now to to being an employer uh, or a business owner for yourself. So so I have a process I go through to help analyze that and help connect people with the right franchise for them with a plus companies and, and that. But, um, so for me, it's still very rewarding to help people get into business for themselves to reach their little slice of the American dream of, of being a business owner. I still do a lot of coaching in Mm -hmm. what I do because not everybody I work with is cut out to be a business owner. Sure. Uh, Just like not every player you're recruiting is going to make the U S national team. Some of them are going to be, uh, you know, just, just not, not at that level. So, um, so that's you know I still have a ton of things that I apply to my my role today as a franchise consultant uh, that I learned as a hockey player and a, ho- and a hockey coach.
0: Yeah, well, and for me, you know <laughs> um, as as a prospective purchaser of a franchise at varying stages of my life, what i what I think is really noteworthy in this is, if you want to be a business owner. Obviously, the advantage of franchising is you get a system,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? But many of us who are entrepreneurs are doing what we're doing because we don't want to be told what to do. Yeah. <laughs> so there's this inherent friction in like in your process, I'm sure, part, part of what you're trying to figure out is like, will they follow the program or are they going to try to do it their own way? Because Man. for me, if you're going to do it your own way, just go be an entrepreneur because exactly. you're going to frustrate the hell out of yourself trying to operate within a system. But on the other hand, as an entrepreneur, I'm sitting here saying to you, man, a system would be nice. (laughs) Yeah.
1: No, there's no doubt. And that, and that's the trade off, you know, like you said, true entrepreneurs, people that are, you know, ultra creative and, and, um, you know, typically people that, that, that have a a certain level of um, drive and determination that they're going to do it their way. And they, and, and that they, you know, they they can figure it out on their own. Why would I pay, you know, $50,000 to a system, and six percent of my ongoing revenue to somebody else when I can do this myself—that's that could be the right fit for some people. And there's a lot of a lot of folks when I was in the service side. Let's just use Molly Maid for an example. A lot of folks that said, "Well, what do I need Molly Maid for uh, when when I can I can it's run just my cleaning. own? It's cleaning, right? <laughs> you know, and ninety percent of the cleaning industry is independent cleaning uh, uh, people. Yeah, it's not franchises, but the average business in Molly May does 1.5 million a year in sales because they know how to market and advertise and they know how to do estimates and close estimates and keep recurring customers. They know how to deliver customer service, uh, communicate with the customers, you know, all the technology to run the business. They've got all these, these systems and and training and tools to help people grow a larger business. Mm -hmm. And that typical entrepreneur that may say, well, I can do this myself. They might be able to do that. and, And maybe they'll, they'll hit some high, you know, aspiring to some higher numbers, but most of the average cleaning businesses do 10 to 20% of the sales of a Molly made business. So right. would you rather have 100% a hundred percent of $300,000 or 94% of 1.5 million? A year? <laughs> yeah. No doubt. So, uh, but there's no question that the whole franchising thing isn't for everybody and the true entrepreneurs that don't want to be told, uh, you know what to do it may not be for them. Well, so let's let's view the
0: the alternative. So I can go buy a book like Traction, Gino Wickman's book, right, and which gives you the framework for building your own system. Mm-hmm. But what it requires of the entrepreneur is a vision. Mm-hmm. I, I can do the tactical work of growing my business, make the phone calls, enter the information, blah blah blah. But if I can't see how I'm going to move myself to the next stage of development within the business, I'm kind of sunk, right? Kind of to your point, the cleaning person who thresholds themselves because they feel like, oh, my God, I'm so busy and I'm cleaning every day. And yet this is all I'm making. What's going on here? Well, it's the absence of the system that's causing that problem for you. And what you have to decide is... Do you have fifty thousand dollars worth of a system in your brain or in a book that you can put on paper and execute, or would it be better just to hire a coach right. <laughs> to give you that opportunity to fast forward that part of what you're learning?
1: Yeah, yeah, know. I mean it, it's the, the franchise model is is one where you know when you have a proven system and you have a proven uh, marketing plan that drives customers, when you have the technology already in place. There's there's a whole lot of things that, again, A plus franchise companies are going to have those, and there are certain you know there are franchise companies out there that that don't you right. know you're they're run out of a person's kitchen table, and it's not a, a big organization that you might think it is, and that's why working with a, a coach like me who has you know 16 years of experience in the franchising world that can help guide people towards those right opportunities as opposed to the ones where it is that entrepreneur who says, "Well, I'm going to take my business, I'm going to franchise it and, you know, I know how to run a great uh, bakery, I'm so why not, you know, franchise this." Well, running a franchise uh, a bakery franchise is very different than running a bakery. That entrepreneur might know how to run a great bakery and cook a cook a great uh, muffin or whatever it is, mm-hmm. but they don't know the first thing about sourcing real estate and negotiating leases and uh, doing the construction and the permitting and the you know the build out and and then the marketing and the advertising to drive customers in and uh, supporting and training the franchisees. I mean, there's a huge different uh, difference between running an actual operating uh, individual business and then operating a, a franchise. So. That's where, you know, franchise companies that have an experienced executive team that's done it before with other brands, companies that have, you know, the right vendors and partners in place. That's where I'm steering my clients to, as opposed to, you know, some of these unproven concepts that sure. may or may not get there. Sure,
0: sure, sure. Well, and for me, uh, when I'm lamenting my own um, set of circumstances with other entrepreneurs, oftentimes what we say to one another is how difficult it is when everything that you just checked off on that list that a franchise organization provides, technology, marketing, mm-hmm. advertising, executive leadership, if you don't get that from a system, you have to create it from scratch,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which means you have to have expertise, knowledge, and understanding of not any one of those things, but all of them.
1: Yeah,
0: And for me, as a relatively new business owner, that, you know, I feel like I have a vision. I feel like I have all of those things. It's getting the system in place to support my efforts that really is, I think, going to be where 2020 will be my growth year because we've done most of that work up yeah. until this point. But that doesn't ensure anything, really. So in this process of recruiting and, and bringing on people and working through the discovery that you that you have to go through, be it in this process in your recruiting for the national program or even in your playing career, what are kind of the, the personality traits or the, the characteristics that you've seen that have consistently and repeatedly been uh, harbingers of success? Oh,
1: that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think there's a, a couple of things you know consistently that, that I see, you know, when I, you know, right now as I'm working with people that are considering business ownership, um, it, it, many people have different motivations and sometimes that motivation is what tends to be a, a difference maker. So wh- one example for, for um, uh, discussion purposes here is somebody who worked in corporate America for 20, 25, 30 years and has found themselves uh, downsized or outsourced and now they don't have that paycheck coming in. They don't have the 401k and the health insurance uh, you know, that that they've had for their, their career and they start interviewing for other jobs and they quickly find that at their age or at their level they they're not as plentiful uh, they, they may need to take a job at a lower level uh, not as much money not as much responsibility maybe more travel more you know headaches things that that people may not be willing to do at this stage and so becoming their own boss now becomes something that hey maybe i you know i've made other people wealthy other companies or corporations wealthy uh, why not do it for myself now if i'm going to put in all this time effort energy why not do it for myself and so, so a lot of times, having that motivation where you know you don't have the security of a job uh, is something that I've seen drives a lot of people to. <laughs> you think? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've got to replace this income. I'm not young. I'm not old enough to retire yet. Yeah. You know, I don't have the income. Or, you know, so I believe we follow that in the now what category. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but that is a that is something that that drives it. And again, failure can't be an option for a lot of people like that. And so they tend to make a a firmer commitment. And I'm going, there's just no way, you know, that I'm going to let this, that this, you know, fail. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to put in, follow the system and the plan and, and put in the time, energy, and effort to be successful. So, so that's, you know, fear is a big motivator for people, right? Um, so that's, that's certainly one of them. The other, you know, the other biggest thing I think is, is people that have developed strong leadership and communication skills are, are the, the most, um, I, I would say, you know, from the people I've worked with, again, most likely to end up investing in themselves. That, you know, sometimes you have people that just don't have that self confidence, or that you know they may feel like, well, I've I've been a contributor my whole life, but I've never been a leader. And to run a business, you've got to be a leader. You've got to be able to to hire and lead and manage employees. You've got to be able to communicate with your vendors and suppliers and and uh, negotiate and you know things like that. Uh, you've got to, you know, be able to have the financial acumen to review and understand your. your you don't have to be the CPA. Outsource a lot of most people outsource that, but you got to be paying attention to the books and and uh, so having that, um, you know, really strong um, overall kind of corporate background where where you've led teams, you've managed people, you've you know analyzed budgets or you know those, those types of things. Those are those are the people that have the what franchise companies are looking for Mm -hmm. in their franchisees. Mm -hmm. We want somebody that's going to come in and run their own business. We're going to provide them with the framework. We're going to provide them with the support, but we know that not every Tom, Dick and Harry can, can lead this franchise. Mm So if you have these types of of successful track record, you know, these, these types of traits in your track record, it's going to make them a lot more likely to be a, a successful franchisee with franchise companies they typically don't care if you know the first thing about the product or service that your business is selling. Uh-huh. You know, again, like uh, to bring an example, we use great clips earlier, the hair care industry, the franchisees that, that own great clips, they don't know anything about hair care. They don't, they don't ever cut somebody's hair. They don't do anything with product or, you know, things like that. They're running a business. Mm-hmm. They have a manager that's running the day-to-day operations in the store and they have hairstylists that are cutting the hair. Mm-hmm. And so that, that industry knowledge is not at all, a prerequisite for most franchise companies. A lot of times they say, we want, we, don't, we want somebody from a completely different industry because if somebody's been working in this industry for a long time and they come in, then they think they know better or different. I have to unlearn their habits exactly. before I can teach them oh, new that's, ones. Right? That's right on. <laughs> that's so that's just one of those myths out there, you know, again, for folks that are considering owning a franchise. And they say, well, what am I interested in? What are my, what are my, what are my skills? Uh, you know, don't worry about that. That doesn't matter. What, right. what you're most, what we really, when I work with people, what I spend the most time on in the beginning is what are the business characteristics that are most important to you. Is it, you know, do you want to work in the business every day? Are you looking for something more semi-absentee? Are you looking for something that has a strong marketing and, and uh, customer acquisition strategy? Because that's not a strength of yours. Great. If it, some businesses require the owner to be in a real active sales role, some you don't have to do any sales at all. Uh, you know so so those are the types of questions I go through with people to really understand. Do you need something that ramps up super quick, or can you afford to wait a year and a half, two years before you 're seeing a return on your investment because the way these businesses are set up, some of them are designed for fast ramp up and turnaround, low overhead, some have you know real estate and construction and and it 's twelve months before it 's even open from the time you open it, so you better have a a longer runway so anyway those are those are some of the things you really need to consider. Ahead of time, before you start worrying about what specific franchise, what product or service am I going to 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 uh, uh, offer in my business, it's more about let's identify these characteristics, and then we'll find the franchise that fits.
0: So, yeah. really, as we wrap up, what I think I'm hearing you say, Alex, is first you have to know you want to. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> first, you have to know you want to, and a lot of times that it's that moment that people realize that they want to, that uh, is the defining moment of their career. So yeah. it's good to know that there's folks like uh, like you out there waiting for people when they make that decision. And uh, we will definitely make sure that we have your contact information loaded into this episode so that if anybody's interested, they have a way to reach out to you. Thanks, Roger. Appreciate it. Well, there you have it. There was a lot in there. I'm really proud of the fact that we were able to sneak in a Malcolm Gladwell uh, tidbit of information behind the whole Blink book. You guys should check that out if you've not yet read Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. It's a really good book. The other thing that really struck me was the with the absence of systems and processes, you're really just working hard without really um, any opportunity for improvement that can be measured. And the institution of systems and processes was really the catalyst For Alex's coaching career, so he has to be thankful to Elpo Suhonen, who was the Winnipeg Jets coach that he talked about uh, in there as well. And the idea of helping Americans get a little slice of of the American dream is a really cool idea. So I thought there was a lot in there, but really the understanding of needing a system, needing some marketing and some technology in order to be able to actually make your small business be more successful than... A franchise organization is really a key takeaway, so if you're not capable of joining a franchise organization, you really should be focused on systems in order to help you be able to improve for the long term. Hope you enjoyed that. Please share that around. Give it to friends. Let people know about the Sawyer in Sales podcast, and by all means, subscribe, and please write us reviews in places where you get your podcasts so that we can continue to bring you the high quality guests like the ones that we had today. Thanks so much for the listen, and we'll talk to you again real soon.